I'm not sure how many of you have seen The Karate Kid. And I'm not talking about, you know, this, this new Karate Kid with Will Smith Jr. I'm talking about the original Karate Kid with, with Mr. Miyagi and Daniel Son. That's the Karate Kid I'm talking about. In, if you're familiar with that one, and you're familiar with the Cobra Kai, and more importantly than the Cobra Kai, the Cobra Kai's karate master. This big, muscly, ripped guy. Looks like an uh, ex-Special Forces type. The type of guy that doesn't own any shirts that have sleeves on them. That's who this guy is. Uh, he's the type of guy who thinks that, that pain is for the weak. That, that only the strong survive. Everyone else are losers. Everyone else is weak. It's only those who are the strongest of the strong that are going to make it in life. And the motto of the Cobra Kai, the motto of his dojo is strike first, strike hard, no mercy. At one point in the movie, he even corrects a student. A student uh, beats his opponent and then he he doesn't move in for, for the final strike. He waits. He gives the opponent time to recover and the karate master stops what's going on. He, he uses it as a chance to correct the student. This is what he says. He says, we do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. Here, in the streets, in competition, a man confronts you. He is the enemy. And an enemy deserves no mercy. Now, what Mr. Miyagi's nemesis shows us, shows us that in the world's eyes, in the eyes of the world, mercy is a bad thing. It's something that's weakness. It's something that we don't want to have. If, if we have mercy, it shows that we aren't those who are going to survive. It shows that we're weak. We're going to lose. We're going to get beaten because we show mercy. Showing mercy goes against all of our natural inclinations. Everything that we're told to do in the world is not merciful. But we're going to see in our text tonight that, that in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God shows us mercy. He shows us mercy and He fills us with it so that we're merciful to others. That's the main point of the fifth beatitude. What, what Jesus says to us, the main point is that in the gospel, God fills us with mercy He shows us mercy and he fills us with it. Because of the mercy that that God has shown us in the gospel, we should be prompted, we should be drawn, we should be caused to show mercy to other people. We're going to see these things in our text tonight by asking three questions. We're going to ask, what is mercy? We're going to ask, how are we shown mercy? And then we're going to ask, how do we show mercy to others? How are we merciful? So let's go ahead and read our text. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be in the fifth chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the end of the rows. And you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 809. We're going to read verses 3 through 12. Even though our focus tonight is, is on the fifth beatitude or the seventh verse, we're going to read all of them. Because as we go through them one by one, we want to become more and more familiar with them as a whole. So we're going to read Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as I said, our focus is on the fifth beatitude, the seventh verse, which is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So turning to our first question, what is mercy? Before we even start to think about how we're shown mercy by God and how we show mercy to others, we have to first know what mercy is. If we're going to talk about what it looks like, we've got to know what it is. And as I said before, just like everything we've seen in the Beatitudes up to this point, we've seen that, that all of these things that, that Christ says are blessed are things that we don't possess naturally. They're, they're not things that we naturally do. See, sometimes people get confused and they think that mercy is just somebody who's, who's easygoing, somebody who's laid back so they don't care that much about right and wrong. So if somebody does wrong to them, they just kind of let it slide because it just doesn't matter that much to them. You see, the way we know that mercy isn't a natural disposition of us as human beings is the fact that it's used to describe God. Mercy is one of God's attributes. In Deuteronomy 4.31, we read, The Lord is a merciful God. In Psalm 16, or 116.5, David says that our God is merciful. So, mercy can't be something that we just naturally do and be a characteristic of God. The two are mutually exclusive. We can't, it can't be both. See, God isn't easygoing. He's not somebody who's just naturally laid back so he doesn't care about right and wrong. We know that he does care about right and wrong. He sees the wrong that we do, and he loves us anyway. And when we think about God's mercy, or we think about God's grace... I think it'll be helpful for us to to distinguish between them. Because most of the time, when we hear the phrase, uh, God showed me grace, or God showed me mercy, I usually think that the same thing is going on. The two are basically synonyms. We're just using different words to describe the same thing. But Paul shows us that that's not the case. You see, every time he writes a letter to somebody, every time he writes a letter to somebody, he says something at the beginning like, grace and peace to you. Then the ending is usually from God our Father, or from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But every single time he says grace and peace to you. Until he gets to Timothy. When he starts writing Timothy, his first letter, he says grace, mercy, and peace to you. You see, there was a big enough distinction between grace and mercy that Paul felt like he had to point out and specify, Timothy, you need grace, you need mercy, and you need peace from God. He wanted him to know about both. And so there must be some sort of difference between them. We can think of it like this. Grace is a loving response when love is undeserved. So 
when we say God showed me grace, if God showed me grace, it means that God loved me even though I didn't deserve his love. So even though I didn't do anything to earn his love, he loves me. That's his grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is a loving response which is prompted by uh, a helpless or, or miserable state in the one who's loved. So if I say God showed me mercy, what I mean is that God saw that I was miserable. He saw that I was helpless. He took pity on me. He had compassion on me, and his compassion prompted him to act on my behalf. So obviously, God is both gracious and merciful. He's gracious in that he loves us even though we don't deserve his love. Even though we can't do anything to make ourselves deserving of it, he loves us. He's gracious. And he's merciful in that he loves us because we're miserable, because we're helpless on our own apart from him. He shows us mercy. So the answer to our first question, and the answer of the question of what is mercy, mercy is a compassionate response. So when we respond out of compassion to someone based on their helplessness, based on their misery, we take pity on them and love them. That's what mercy is. So what about the second question? How are we shown mercy? Now some of you might be out there and be thinking, wait a second. You just, you just skipped all the way to the end of the verse. See, it's not until we get to the end of the verse, to so the end of verse 7, that Jesus talks about us being shown mercy. First, he talks about us being merciful. So why, why are we going to discuss the questions in different order? Well, the reason why we're doing this is because of the way that some people have distorted this verse. You see, some people hear this verse, and they turn Jesus' words into an if-then statement. They say that what Jesus is saying here really is that if we're merciful, if we show mercy to others, then God will show us mercy. The flip side of that's also true. If, if, if I don't show mercy to other people, if I'm not merciful, then God is not going to show mercy to me. That's what people want to understand it as. Now, other than the simple fact that we shouldn't change Jesus' words, there, there's two reasons why we shouldn't take this, why we shouldn't understand what Jesus is saying in this way. The first is that if this is true, if Jesus is really saying this, then none of us are going to be shown mercy. It doesn't matter how merciful we are. It doesn't matter how many people we show mercy. At some point in our life, at some point, we're going to not show mercy. Might be just driving down the road and we see somebody on the side and they're helpless. And we just think, oh i got to get home to catch the end of the Duke-Michigan game. Or maybe something else happens, but there's always going to be a time where we don't show mercy. So if this is right, then we're all in trouble. The second reason, and the more important reason, is that if this is true, if this is what Jesus is saying, then we need to rip out large chunks of the New Testament. Because if that's true then salvation by grace alone is false. We need to rip out Romans, the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, pretty much the whole thing. Everything Paul wrote needs to be gone. See, because what you're saying, what we're saying is this, is that I'm not saved by grace. I'm not saved by Christ's work. I'm saved by what I do. 
if I just work, 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 and show everybody mercy, then I will earn God's favor. I don't need Christ. I don't need his life or his death or his resurrection for me. I just need to show everybody mercy. Now, obviously, that's not what we believe. That's not the gospel. That's legalism. It's saying that we can work and we can earn his grace. So clearly, that's not it. That's that's not what Jesus is saying. So then, what is he saying? How are we shown mercy? Well, I think that Paul explains it best in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. As Paul describes this, as he he counters those who would understand passages of the Bible like this, he seems to say that, that God's grace to us is prompted by his mercy. So he says, when we were dead, in trespasses, when we were living in sin, when we were blinded by our sin, when we were completely spiritually bankrupt, God saw us. He saw our helplessness. He saw our misery and he took pity on us. Paul says that, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, in God's mercy, he acted for us. Paul says that even, even when we were dead in sin, even when we couldn't do anything on our own, Christ died for us. God's mercy is the reason why we have God's grace. God's mercy is the reason that the gospel is good news to us. Because God saw us and took pity on us and sent His Son for us. That's how we're shown mercy. The third question. How, how then are we merciful? If that's what mercy is, if that's how we're shown mercy, then how do we show mercy to others? Well, to back up a little bit, we, we saw how it would be wrong to understand Jesus' words to us as legalistic, as as if they're a way for us to earn his grace. You see, Jesus, being the smart guy that he was, also takes a shot at those on the other side. Those of us who would be of a more licentious nature, those of us who would use his grace and his mercy as an excuse to do nothing. 
See, my, my showing mercy to others isn't, it doesn't result in my salvation. So if I don't do it, then it's okay. But Jesus, the, the way He connects, he, he links so closely together our being shown mercy to us showing mercy to others. But what He's telling us here is that if we really and truly and finally get a hold of the Gospel, or, or more accurately, if the Gospel gets a hold of us, if the Gospel grips us, then we will be prone, will be prompted, will be caused to show mercy to other people. If that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen in us, then it shows that there's still some heart issues that we need to work out. There's still some ways in which we haven't understood the gospel if we're not pushed in this direction. Think about it this way. We've seen, as we've gone through the Beatitudes, we've seen how every single Beatitude is linked to those that came before. We've seen this logical progression as we've gone through them. So as we come to this one, why would we expect it to be any different? You see, if I read the Beatitudes, if the Holy Spirit takes them and applies them to my heart, then I'll see that I'm poor in spirit. I'll understand that I'm spiritually poor. I'll understand that that, that I'm completely and utterly without hope to change my state before God. And because of that, I'll mourn. Because of that, I'll grieve over sin in my life. I'll grieve over sin in the lives of others. And I'll grieve over sin in the world. And then once that takes hold of me, once I understand that, I understand my relationship to God. I understand my relationship to other people. I'll live meekly. I'll live in light of that relationship. And then my meekness and my mourning and my spiritual poverty will cause me to realize that I'm completely empty of righteousness. It'll cause me to hunger and thirst and long for righteousness more than I long for anything else. It'll cause me to want to live my life in accordance with God's will. And then we find out that He satisfies that desire. He he fulfills that craving that we have. And so if, if those things really happen, if all of that has really happened in our heart, if, if the Holy Spirit has applied God's Word to us in that way, isn't it safe to assume that, that that is going to impact everything that we do? It's going to impact our attitudes. It's going to impact the way we feel about people. It's going to impact the way we think about people. It's going to impact everything about us. You see, but it's sadly amazing to me that we so quickly forget about that. How quickly we move to forget what being blind in our sin is like. How quickly we lose the compassion that we feel at the beginning of the Christian life for other people. How quickly quickly we lose the desire to see other people's lives changed by the gospel like our life has been changed by the gospel. How quickly we move from understanding and empathizing with people in their sin to frustration with them and, and anger with them and judgment and condemnation of them.
the summer I spent in Houston, I served as an usher at one point for a, a concert they had at Houston's First Baptist Church. And I remember this point where these two women showed up late. And so the concert had already started. The, the auditorium was, was dark except for the lights on the stage. And it was my job to, to lead these women across the back of the dark auditorium to where their seats were. And so we're walking along. I'm, I'm taking them through the way. It was you know, before the days when we all had flashlight apps on our cell phones. And so we, we can't see anything. You know, it's pitch black where we're walking. The lights from the stage even make it worse, so our eyes just kind of never adjust. I'm out, I'm walking, there's these two women beside me, I'm taking them to their seats. And then all of a sudden, there's one woman behind me, and I kind of muffled, painful sound somewhere back there. And immediately, I knew exactly what happened. You see, along the, the back wall of the auditorium, there were these rows of chairs, which were set up for, for people to sit in if, if all the other seats became full. I knew that they were there because I had seen the room when it was lit, and even thought, you know, I should probably watch out for those when I'm walking. Thankfully, the, the woman was okay. She wasn't hurt. Uh, and now it's a humorous story. Then I felt terrible. And it just so happened that at the same time, same time in my life where, where that was happening, I was also memorizing a verse in Proverbs with a group of people. And the verse is Proverbs 4.18. And like God has just fused these things together in my mind so that whenever I think about the story or whenever I think about the verse, both events come to mind. It's Proverbs 4.18 says this. Solomon says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So just picture yourself looking at a black horizon. It's nighttime. All you can see is Darkness. Solomon says that, that, that those who live a righteous life are like that, that first ray of sunshine, that, that first glimpse of light that, that pierces the darkness. And then it continues to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until the sun is fully up. That's what we're supposed to be like in the world. The next verse says this. Solomon describes the unrighteous like this. He says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Just like this lady. Just like this lady who's, who's walking along, eager to, to get in her seat so she can enjoy the concert. She had no idea, no way of knowing that there's a chair that's about to just kneecap her and take her out. That's what the wicked are like. And we were just like them. We were, we were blind in darkness. We were blind in our sin. But God, but our merciful and gracious God made us alive together with Christ. And that fact those two words that Paul tells to us, but God, should change our attitudes. It should change our hearts. And it should cause us and enable us to show mercy to others. If it doesn't, if we aren't pushed to, to empathizing 
and showing mercy to those who are in sin. And it shows that we don't really understand what happened in our hearts when we accepted the gospel. We should be drawn to love them. The mercy that God has shown us should prompt us to show that same mercy to other people. But how? How do we do this practically? And here, I wanted to be clear that I'm not going to give application. I'm not going to give application in the normal sense that we think about it because Jesus in the Beatitudes, he's not giving us this list of things that we should do. He's not saying, do this, do this, don't do that, do this. Instead, he's, he's explaining to us these heart qualities that we should possess. He's saying that these are the type of people, all of these things are what a Christian should be. Those who love God should be these things, not, not do these things, but be these things. And so, I don't want to give application. But I do want to talk about some specific ways that that this can be fleshed out in our lives. The way that we can live as those who really are merciful. I think a big way is to love the unlovable. Love those who are hard for us to love. I mean, think think about Jesus' ministry on the earth. People were always blown away by the, by the company that he kept. They just couldn't believe he talked to these people. They couldn't believe that he had dinner with these people. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He ministered to these commanders of the Roman army. The Romans were, were hated. They were detested. The people wanted them out of their land. And Jesus ministers to them. Jesus talked to Gentiles. He even talked to Samaritans, the people that were hated in Israel more than anybody else. Jesus talked with them. He talked to the lame, the the deaf, the blind. And at one point, he even stretches out his hand to touch a leper. In our our day, that would be like one of us touching somebody who has AIDS, who's bleeding profusely, us touching them without, without any kind of glove on knowing that 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 could mean our death. That's what it was like for Jesus when he touched this person. He showed love to those who weren't loved by anybody. He was driven by the mercy that he felt to act for them. So we need to think. We need to think, who are the people in our life that are hard to love? Who who are the Samaritans? Who are the, the commanders of the enemy's army? Who are these people that we just don't want to love? We need to invite them to dinner. We need to eat lunch with them. We need to talk with them. We need to show them the mercy that Christ has shown us. And when we get to that point, when we get to that point where they they do something or they say something that causes us to not want to be merciful to us, to them, when it's that, that person like our, our mother-in-law or our mother or, or that friend or, or that, that, that kid we just don't like. Two words sh- should come into our mind and cause us to love them anyway. We should think, but God. But God 
when I was dead in my sin, when I couldn't do anything for myself, Christ died for me. God showed me mercy, and so I should show them mercy, even though it's hard. Another way, another example of how we can be merciful is by giving and loving and serving the poor. Now, when we talk about ministering to the poor or giving to the poor, most of us can be critical and cynical. You know, we can say, you know, I just, I just really shouldn't give that person money because they're just going to spend it on alcohol. They're going to spend it on drugs or something frivolous. They're just going to waste it. Or we say, you know, I've done that. I've helped out the poor in the past. I've gone to loaves and fishes. I've served them. And they're just, they're just ungrateful. They just act entitled to me serving them. But think, think about how we, apart from God's grace, how we've misused his gifts, his gifts he gave us in creation, in life, and in breath, and the ability to talk and walk, how we've used those things for sin. And yet he showed us mercy. Or think about how ungrateful we are at times for the fact that Christ died for us. So I think that we can tolerate some people being ungrateful to us. And if those things aren't enough, they should be. But if those things aren't enough to to push us to show mercy to the poor, think about the children. Think about their kids. Think about these kids whose home life is full of sex and drugs and violence. Think about these kids who, who sit down to dinner with nothing to eat because their parents have spent all the money unwisely. If these things don't push us to show compassion, to show mercy, then there's something wrong with us. Right now, presently, today, one of the easiest ways for us to show mercy is to give toward and to pray for Japan. You can just think about these people. Put yourself in their shoes. In just a moment, their entire life, everything they knew was just destroyed. They had people die. Their house was just smashed. If you go to uh, desiringgod.org, John Piper's ministry, he uh, or somebody from his ministry, gave these, these five ways, five different organizations which are currently doing ministry in Japan that we can support. We can pray for them. We can give to them. And through that, we can show mercy to these people that we'll never, ever meet. These, these people in a place where only 1.5% of the population know the gospel. So we should give to them. I think any discussion of mercy or any thinking about mercy brings to mind the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we all, we all know it. We know that this, this guy was, was walking along. He's walking down the road and these robbers came along and they beat him up. They, they took all his money. They took all his clothes and they left him for dead. He was literally about to die in a ditch. And then Luke tells us 
Jesus tells us through Luke that this priest, you know, somebody who was supposed to know God, he was supposed to know God's law. He walks down the road and he sees this guy on the side of the road and instead of helping him, he crosses to the other side. He moves on with his day. And then Jesus tells us that a Levite, somebody who's a priest of a higher order, somebody who was supposed to know God's law even more, somebody who was supposed to show mercy in that situation, he walks down the road. And he does the same exact thing. He sees the man, he moves to the other side, and he thinks, if I stop and help this guy, then maybe the robbers will get me. And so he goes on about his day. But then Jesus tells us that, that a Samaritan somebody who was hated by the Jews and who hated the Jews in return. He walks down the road, and of course we know that he had compassion on him. He bound up his wounds. He put him on his own donkey and took him to the nearest village. And he paid so that he could stay in an inn and recover. And he made sure that the innkeeper was going to watch over him and make sure he got better. You see, it's not enough. It's not enough just to see the person and to feel bad for them. It's not enough to see somebody on the side of the road and think, man, that sucks that their car broke down. But I really got to get to class. Or I got to get to school. The, the legalist who, who was questioning Jesus, Jesus asked him, he said, who is the neighbor? And the legalist says, the one who showed him mercy. The fact that the Samaritan both felt these things and then actively loved him is what made him merciful. The God of the universe showed mercy to me. He showed mercy to you. And the ways that that can translate into our daily lives, the ways that we can practically live that out are endless. It it doesn't really matter how it's fleshed out in our lives. What matters is that that it is fleshed out. What matters is that we are drawn to show mercy to others. See, because when we show mercy, when we show mercy to other people, we demonstrate that the gospel has affected us to our core. It's changed all that we do. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He both shows us mercy and fills us with it. In the gospel, that's what he does. He showed us mercy in that while we were dead in sin, he took pity on us. Christ left heaven. He he took on flesh and he lived a perfect life. And then even though he was innocent, he was punished as a criminal on the cross where he died for us. God took all of our sin and placed it upon him. And Christ died for us. And then he, he conquered the grave. He took back his life again. He rose again. He was vindicated by the Father. And as if taking our sin wasn't enough, if that wasn't a merciful enough act, God gives us Christ's righteousness. He places it on us so that 
we get everything he gets. We're, we're, we're qualified to share in his inheritance. That's what Paul says. That means that we're considered with him sons and daughters of God. That's God's mercy to us. And God's mercy to us should, should cause us and enable us to show mercy to others. So tonight, this week, this month, don't go out and do mercy. Don't go out and act merciful. Go out and be merciful. Let the gospel which has changed you change you in this way. So that to your core, you aren't somebody who does acts of mercy, but somebody who is merciful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a merciful God. We thank you that your mercy prompted your grace. God, that we can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to merit your favor, but that you took pity on us and sent your Son for us. And that even though, and even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, we pray that your Spirit would grip our hearts and grip our lives with that truth. God, that your Spirit would cause us to be merciful. That we would love others with the same great love that you've loved us. We ask that we would live like Jesus. That we would love the unlovable. That we would show mercy to all. And that because of that, more people would know the mercy that we've known through Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.